Welcome to Murder at Land Between the Lakes, a podcast about the unsolved murders of teenage sisters Carla Atkins and Vicki Stout. A 40-year-old cold case that took place in Dover, Tennessee. This is the next chapter, a season of justice, and we are your hosts, Amelia Courtney and Lainey Sullivan. They was good. They didn't bother anybody. It's been so long. Still hurts always well. It's been almost nine years since Margie Atkins' two daughters were murdered. Vicki Stout was 16. Her half-sister, Carla Atkins, was only 14 years old. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Murder at Land Between the Lakes. Amelia and I are very excited to share with you a special Mother's Day episode where we have had the pleasure of speaking with Margie Nell, Carla and Vicki's mother. Um, it's been a fantastic experience to really get her perspective on the case and to understand what happened on that fateful day back in 1980. So welcome back, everyone, and happy Mother's Day to you, Lainey, and to everyone out there. And what you heard in the beginning of this was, I think some of our listeners probably heard on our Facebook page a while back, was a segment that was on News Channel 5, which with Larry Britton, um, it was aired back in around, I guess, 1989. So roughly 30 years ago. Um, it was a segment that, you know, had Margie Nell. It's like one of the first times probably our viewers and listeners saw Margie Nell for the first time. And in that um, segment, I mean, or in that, you know, whole entire interview, you probably remember Lainey, David Hicks even said they thought they knew who did it, but just didn't have the evidence. So that was like, a, you know, very interesting to hear. But um, so after seeing Margie Nell in that, Lainey, you know, that was 30 years ago, and you could see, you know, you could hear the tears and see her, how, you know, raw and the pain in her then. What did you think seeing, you know, listening to Margie now 30 years later? Do you still think, you know, that same pain is there after all these years? Yeah, I don't think that that pain goes away over time. The pain of losing two children so suddenly and abruptly for apparently no reason is something that I think will stay with her until the day that she dies. The only thing that I can think of that may give her some comfort is to know what happened and who committed this heinous crime. That's, that's actually a very good answer. I, and I think you're right. It, that never goes away. And maybe finding, you know, there's not going to be a why I don't think, you know, they're so young, there, there can't be a why. I know. And to think it's been 40 years, 40 years ago that this has happened. And she is, you know, an, an amazing, an amazing person to be able to continue on and to continue to have a um, comforted attitude through this entire time. No, exactly. And she was, you know, um, you know, excellent person to talk to and, you know, very strong. She's 85 and, you know, still, you know, 
sharp as attack and you know it was so nice to speak with and you know our interview was very personal and we discussed a lot of very case sensitive things in our interview and I, I hope all of our listeners will understand that we did receive permission to air this interview but you know for the integrity of this case and um, for the family's sake you know we did break up this interview into very you know a lot of segments so uh, we'll start with um, airing a segment that just you know the intro um, where we introduce ourselves to Miss um, Nell and she talks a little bit about the girls and how she remembered them you know on that day even and she talks about um, just how they were as teenagers. Now, can you hear us? Uh, yes, ma'am. Can you hear me? We can hear you. How are okay. you? It's good to hear your voice. Thank you. <laughs> how yeah. is today? Is it nice outside? Uh, yes, ma'am, it is. The wind's blowing just a little, but the sun's come up. Well, good. Glad it's nice there. It's ugly here today. Oh, well, thank you for letting us talk to you. I'm Amelia, and I have Lainey on the phone, too, but it's, this is Amelia speaking here. Yes, ma'am. And hi, Miss Nell. This is Lainey. Hi. How are you? Good, good. It's great to talk to you today. Thanks for thanks for talking to us. You're welcome. So if you don't, if you don't mind, we would like to just go back and talk to you about, I know it's been 40 years but let's go back and talk about 1980 a little bit and let's just if you don't just sit and relax and just you know if you want to just be as calm as you can and relax and just think about that you know that time for a little bit and think about good times and let's just go back and think about you know the time period and um just try to put yourself back to that that time and let's think about um, the girls and, you know, Carla and Vicki. I know it might be hard a little bit, but think about some good times. And let's talk about the girls a little bit. Do you mind doing that? No, ma'am, I don't mind. Okay. Do you want to talk Do you want to talk a little bit about Carla and Vicki? Give us a little bit of um, what you remember about them. Oh, they were, they were good girls. They didn't go nowhere. They went to school. And stayed at home most of the time. And I know they would come over to Paris with Randy because he had a girlfriend over here, Evanna Stanley. And uh, they would come over here with him sometimes. Just cut up and play and. Just girls. Yeah. Uh So, yes, and next we talked to Miss Nell about that morning and the girls getting ready to go to school and missing the bus. And then that day, on that September morning, do you remember much about that morning? Like, they didn't go to school, correct? Right. Do you remember yeah, they why missed, they uh-huh. missed the bus? I had a car, but it it wasn't running, so I couldn't take them. 
and they missed the bus. So were you at home with them that morning? Yes. And then Marginelle goes on to talk about the day, how the day progressed and how um, on September 17th, how the girls, you know, went to the furnace and she went and started looking for them up and down the street and they were, she started to realize they hadn't come back yet and how she knew they wouldn't get into the car with anyone else and how everyone knew that. And that's something that's been continuous for us as well that we've heard from more family members and, you know, and other friends that Carla and Vicki just would not have gotten in the car with a stranger. So I'll, we'll play that segment for you and you can hear her to take on that as well. Can you remember they left to go down to the furnace that later on? Yes, yes ma'am. And then uh, they just kept, went on and on. The time, time passed, and I went outside, looked up and down the highway, wondering where in the world they were at. And Carl and Vicky, I've always told them, they never would get in the vehicle with nobody unless mm-hmm. they knew them real well. Mm-hmm. That's what everybody said. That's right. Yeah. Right. They never would. So next with Miss Nell, we really dug into how she reported the girls going missing and the response that she received from Sheriff David Hicks. He would come. He would come whenever I called and told him. I didn't know where they was at. He kept saying, well, they're just probably out riding around. Said, when they come back, I'm going to kick their butts. And I knew better, and that's what he would say. God bless him. He's gone, but it's the truth. Did uh, did David Hicks know the girls? No. So he really wouldn't have any idea that they would have just been running around? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. And then he said that he was told that they were seen in Nashville. Why would they be in Nashville? And all the time then they were gone. Did Did you know many of the um, the people um, the girls were friends with? Like any of the guy friends that they had? Randall Randall Riggins. And did you know Randall very well? Uh, I'd been around him. He seemed like an okay boy, mm-hmm. as far as I knew. And and was Randall dating one of the girls? Yeah, he liked Vicky. He would come over. He liked Vicky. And did Carla have any any boyfriends or guy friends? No. As far as I know. Mm-hmm. And so you had mentioned that that David Hicks, you know, originally, I guess, or initially, was really just kind of chalking it up to the girls being girls and running mm-hmm. running around or running away. At what yes, point? Ma'am. Did he- 
At what point mm-hmm. did, did he change his tune? I don't know if he ever did. <laughs> I mean, I don't know because I didn't hear from him anymore or see him or anything. Mm. So that must have been a really, really tough time for you and the family and the girls' friends just not knowing right. um, yes, what was yes. happening. Oh, my gosh, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Um, at what point did you did you find out that, that the girls' bodies had been found? Whenever they took Roger down there. So, Miss Now, with the information that you've, I'm sure, heard or, or come across since the girls were found, are there any theories that you have on what had happened to the girls or anything that you feel like might have happened that, that I don't maybe nobody know. really looked at? I don't know. I just, uh, why would somebody want to kill them? They didn't do nothing. They didn't bother nobody. Why would they want to kill them? What did they, I don't know. The girls wouldn't have known anything, I don't guess, about anybody. If they did, I didn't know. They just walked up to that store and that was it. Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. Like, why why would anybody want to to kill the girls? Yeah. Right. Do you feel like the the person or persons that um, potentially killed the girls? Do you think that they are still out there? I think that's one thing that, you know, we're we're definitely wanting to help you in in solving I this. I think so. I think so. I wish something would happen before my lifetime. And so do we miss now. Yeah, so do we. And honestly, I do think that um, that that is still a very strong possibility. I hope and pray so. So, one question: after after the girls were found, did you ever have any additional interaction with the police or the TBI? No, no, no. Uh-uh. Nope, never come around. That's you know what that's sad to hear. Yep, sure is. <laughs> Especially for such a small community. Do you feel like the the tragic situation with the girls impacted the entire town in some way? Probably did. It seems like everybody that we've talked to, it seems like such a tight-knit town. Everybody kind of knows everybody that this would be such a a scary thing to have happen. Yeah, yeah, it is.
and then two from somebody from Murray, Kentucky, of finding them when they got the police here in Dover, there in Dover. And uh, God forgive me, but I, I really and truly know that David never did try to find them. He didn't. Why do you think David didn't try to find them? I don't know. I think he thought that just because they were two young girls, they was out with the uh, boys or riding around. That's exactly what he thought. So you think he just dismissed the the allegation that they went missing and something could be wrong just because of their age and right. yes, his, ma'am. his perspective on what he thought teenagers would be up to. Yes, ma'am. And once they found the bodies, did he ever apologize or come back to you to say, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, like we never thought that this could happen? Or what was his how – he, how did he interact with you when he had to share that information? He didn't. Do you mean he was not the one to share that information with you, or he just never apologized? He was just more matter-of-fact about it? Oh, no, he never. Uh-uh. And did, did they take Roger to help yes. them identify the girls? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so he was the one who had to to positively identify that it was Carla and Vicki. Yes. And did he come back home and then communicate that to you, or did they? How did they communicate that it was positive that they were positively identified to you? Roger told me that uh, the only thing was um, a belt and their shoes. Oh. So that's that's what they used to identify the girls was the the belt and the shoes. Uh huh. Yes. Did they take Roger to where the girls were, or they just shared the evidence with? They Roger? took him down there. He okay. saw it. Okay. So, Lainey, that's all very you know interesting, and you know the idea that. I think it's very evident that Sheriff David Hicks was pretty certain the girls were runaways. And by all the newspaper articles that we've read over the years, it also, you know, is pretty clear that I think the police department really believed that they were runaways. I mean, what do you think? I think that from her reaction that she totally felt, a thousand percent confident something was awry because she knew her girls, but that they did not take it seriously. They were teenagers and, you know, obviously Sheriff David Hicks came to, came to Miss Nell's house and, you know, told her what he thought that they probably are just running around and, you know, even had some sort of sighting in Nashville, but, when it came time to actually communicate the information because they found the bodies that the sheriff didn't even come to share that information in person. 
Right. And I think you and I discussed this, you know, even after we talked to Miss now, is it that mother's intuition is she knew quickly that something was wrong and the girls were missing. And she looked up and down the street and realized they were gone. And, you know, I remember being a kid and I've thought about this, you know, I would leave, you know, you know, this is in the eighties and nineties. I would leave early in the day on my bike and I wouldn't come home until the streetlights came on. So if I had, you know, if something had happened to me earlier in the day, it would be hours before my parents would realize I would be missing. So, I mean, she was quick to realize that something was wrong. Yes. And she got no response or even like consideration from the sheriff's department at that time. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't even imagine. And then going into the situation of then hearing that the girl's bodies were found and going through that whole traumatic situation is just and then, hard to you even know, imagine. Yeah. I know. And then another interesting thing to consider is there is not record of Margie now reporting the girls missing that night. Although she did call David Hicks, Sheriff David Hicks, that evening to report the girls missing, he never, apparently, never logged or, you know, made note of the girls of that call. So there was never an initial missing persons report until the next morning. So... It seems like so many things were were not taken seriously from the beginning. Right. Yeah. And if the they mother, were, what would the outcome be today? Right. And, you know, like Marginelle, you know, you know, Miss Nell said that, you know, it took people from Murray on a hike. I think that was her point was it took, you know, two strangers from Murray, Kentucky to find the girls by, you know, by mishap rather than the people that should have actually been looking for them. Yeah. And I'll say it again. Like, even when they did find the bodies, the fact that the sheriff didn't go and share that information in person after the interaction around the missing persons report seems just disappointing to me. I know. And, you know, the idea that Roger, um, you know, their brother had to identify the girls. It's very, you know, sad to me. You know, he was only 17, Laney, at the time that he identified the girls. Can you imagine you're 17 years old and that's what, that's how you're left remembering your sisters? No, I can't. And not only that, but like his sister was just a year younger than him. So he's 17 identifying basically a kid that is his age. <laughs> yeah. And then, his, then his other younger sister, I mean, it's, and it, I, you know, we know how gruesome that scene was and that stuck with him. We know from talking to his other sisters and, you know, and talking to Randy that that stuck with him, you know, his whole life. Yeah. And how could it not? Right. And, you know, um, so we went on to, in you know, when talking to Margie now, you know, Trish uh, Gordon was with her as well. And so we had an opportunity to talk to her because in this conversation, we learned something new. And 
you're going to hear this. Our audience is going to get to hear this little bit of information. So we'll let this play. It was pretty chaotic when I got there. And I don't remember a lot of it either, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, Roger, was he's pretty upset, you know. Yeah. But I don't, the only person I remember seeing is Dr. Lee. And I know Mama said they'd already, the police had already been there. And, you know, gone through their room and took some stuff out of their room. So... <clears throat> Oh, did they? I forgot about that. Yeah, do you remember? No. Yeah, you God. <laughs> What'd they take? I don't know, and you didn't know. And we never got anything back, so I don't know. That would be interesting to know. Yeah, I've asked about that before, but that's another mystery. That, like, what? Unless they were taking anything to compare DNA to, there's no reason to take anything. Yeah. Did they even have that kind of thing back then? I don't even think they would be able to compare DNA. I don't think so. They didn't, but, you know, when I got there, like I said, Dr. Lee was there, and she said the police had already come and gone, and they went in their room and and took some things with them when they left, and that was it. I didn't even remember that. That's interesting, Trish. That's very fascinating what they took. Now, we don't know. Well, I, didn't know. I didn't know what they had in their room, you know. Yeah. And, of course, they, you know, some of their clothes were left. And, you know, the, their school books were there. Because I remember we returned them back to the, took them back to the school. Um, and their watches, you know, there was just a few personal things. So I don't know what they took out of there or where it is today. But hmm. I don't remember that. I'd be curious to know if either one of them had something belonging to someone, like, you know, boyfriend-type material. Yeah, I don't know. Huh. <clears throat> yeah, them watches I got for Christmas, I had never given to them. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. What do you make of that, Blaney? It would be great <laughs> if we could figure out what they took from the room, but I don't know. Given mm. especially what Miss Nell said about the evidence, I assume that whatever they took from the room is long gone as well. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. We, you would think that would have to be logged somewhere. I mean, like what they took. I mean, yeah, but clearly I, not. And I asked about it. Um, I remember asking an agent about it before. Wow. So that's really interesting that they came in and removed items from the girl's room without anyone knowing what those items were or keeping track of that. What do you, what do you think of that, Amelia? Yeah, let's break that down a bit. I mean, what could they have taken? So, you know, you think about the police coming into a suspect's room and taking items. But what could you take from victims? 
I mean, you think about it now, they would come in to take items if you're trying to like use something to identify someone. Like you think about a hairbrush or so- toothbrush or something if you're trying to like collect something for, you know, for DNA. But like, as we noted, you know, at the time in the interview that that wasn't even, an, you know, that wasn't even an option then. And they had already identified the girl. So that wasn't what they were looking for. So what were they looking for? What did they take? They didn't log it or they didn't return the items. So what was it? Did they take a diary? Did they take, I I can't even possibly think of what they took. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that I can think of, honestly, that they would need victims personal possessions for would be if they were doing some sort of search um, with dogs Right. That'd be like a search and rescue. Yeah. Or, Which, identi- that, that, or identify. And I feel like they would have clearly communicated that that's what they were doing. Right. Right. And, and they would of, have responded back with what they had taken. Yeah. And I think it, it's something we may have cut out of this segment because we started to get more into a personal conversation was I think, you know, maybe they took advantage of a situation of, you know, of a, of a grieving parent and just went in and, and took items without consent or, you know, not telling anyone because Trish ha- hadn't arrived there yet. Trish was just arriving, you know, had already, the police already left when Trish got there. So they had already come in, taken what they needed and left. Yeah. And why would they, why would they actually be concerned with that if they felt like, whatever they were taking was going to help in find, you know, in, in solving the, the crime. Right. Right. Especially at the time. I mean, yeah. you can't even imagine the, the whirlwind of emotions that are going on. You're trusting that the police are doing everything possible to, to take care of the matter. Mm-hmm. So that's a new bit of information that, you know, clearly Margie has shared at the time with Trish and since that time Trish had tried to you know find out what those items were and get it back and to no avail obviously those items are no longer available and it was never logged so I guess we'll never know (laughs) (laughs) well at least we don't know now maybe we will one day (laughs) (laughs) maybe it's sitting somewhere but, um, I, you know, and after that, we did find out another bit of information that we had not heard. And it goes back to the truancy officer who made the call the next day about the girls being missing. And this was actually very interesting. And we'll let you hear that again. This is a bit of information that I don't think anybody knew um, until we heard it come from Margie now. So it's about Mara, Mary Emma Cherry. Um, she was the, I guess it was the truancy officer or maybe not the truancy officer, but she came from the school to check on the girls. And we'll let you hear what she told us, what Margie now told us. Did the school reach out to you about the girls not being in school? Uh, yes, the lady come down to wondering why they wasn't in school. And I told her, and I said, I don't know what's happened. 
I said, they just walked up to the furnace. I said, they missed the bus, and I couldn't bring them. And uh, I told her the reason. And, you know, she left. So she came to your house in person. She didn't call you. No. She came okay. to the house. Uh-huh. And, and th- that was during the time they had just left for the furnace. Yes. Hmm. I'm just kind of surprised. Maybe she didn't even see him on the road. Yeah, I was just thinking that. That was that was an odd time frame. Yeah. Okay, so let's think about that a little bit. Mary Emma Cherry came to the house on the day the girls went missing to find out why they weren't in school that day. And from the sound of it, she arrived at the house very shortly after the girls had just left to walk up to the furnace. Right, Amelia? Right. So after... After we got that initial information, we broke that down with both Nell and Trish. Like, we took some time to really explore that for a second to make sure we were, you know, correct with that, with the date and the information. And Nell's positive that Mary Emma Cherry showed up, like, right after school was left, let out, pulled up in the driveway and asked Nell, where are the girls? Like, why weren't they at school today? And I guess that time, and Trish confirmed that as well, that back then it wasn't like it is today. Like you couldn't just miss school. Like it was more of a a quote unquote crime to miss school then. And the the girls, that's why they didn't even leave the house until then. They stayed in the house until the the bell rang, basically. Like they did not want to be seen out of the house. Because mm-hmm. they knew they'd be in trouble. Because they had missed a couple days. They'd been playing hooky more often than not at that time. And they knew they were going to be in trouble if they were seen outside of the house during school hours. So they waited until school hours were out before they left. But Mary and Cherry showed up at 3.30, according to Nell, to see why the girls weren't in school. Hmm. And Trish... I mean, Nell said, well, they just left. They just went to the furnace. So to your point in the conversation, as small as that whole entire area was, it was shocking that Mary and Cherry did not see them on the road. Or that she didn't, after she left the house, go to just kind of confirm that they were okay, like drive, walk, you know, walking up the road or at the furnace. Right. So a couple of things go through my head. What if the girls saw her car in the driveway and that's when they decided not to come back home and then they took a detour? Or what if they jumped in the car with someone or the truck with someone when they saw that, oh my gosh, we're about to be in trouble. Look who's at the house. Or so many different things go through my head. Now I think this changes a little bit of the scenario if the girls were to have seen her. Yeah, I don't know. That's a, I mean, that's a great point, Amelia, Uh, because you can totally see if the girls were trying to avoid her and they saw her coming, they're going to do everything that they can to, to hide or get out of the way, right? Yeah. I don't know. It's just another possibility, I guess, if 
they possibly saw her. I mean, maybe they hid, I don't know, they hid behind something or I don't know. I don't it could know have been, how. You're right. It could have been the motivation that they needed to get into somebody's car where in any other normal day and normal circumstances, they wouldn't consider it. Right. That's exactly what I was thinking as well. Mm. Just another piece of the puzzle, right? <laughs> it is. It is, but it's interesting. I do find it interesting that the school sent people over immediately, knew that the girls weren't in school. Miss Nell knew that the girls weren't acting normal when they didn't come home, but yet it still took the police to find the bodies to really take action and consider this a crime. Right. Yeah. Oh, and, and they didn't find the bodies. It was a hiker. Right, right. <laughs> Hikers found it. But yeah, it seems like the school was more concerned about them being missing from school than anybody, you know, than the police, them being the police finding them missing at all. Yeah. But um, that just about wraps up, you know, that wraps up our interview with Miss Nell. You know, we have a, you know, it's a closing piece, but um, we'll let you hear the closing bit. Yeah. And like, like we said, we're still holding out hope that while she's alive, we'll be able to, to provide her some comfort with knowing that the person or people responsible for these crimes are brought to justice. Question. Because I know we talked about the, the sheriff and the TBI and um, how they really didn't seem to do a lot to, to find the girls or even try to find the, the murder after the girls were found. What about the rest of the community? How did the rest of the community, I know you said that they brought, like people brought food. Was everybody pretty supportive and trying yes, to help? They were. Yes, ma'am, they were. I'm still so surprised that right after that, the, the law enforcement didn't do more than what they did. I know, me too. Yes, ma'am. And people that I never even knew, I don't remember their names, and they sent money, sent me money, and I gave it to Chris, and uh, we used that for her, the tombstone, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I appreciate you talking to me. And, Ms. Uh, now, thank you so much. We Sorry you're having to stand out in the cold today. Oh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. We'll be fine. But God bless you both, and thank you for talking to me. Uh, you- God bless you. Thank you for listening to Murder at Land Between the Lakes. Music by Indy44. Produced by Discrepancy Podcast. Hosted and edited by Lainey Sullivan and Amelia Courtney.